First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in real estate. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. In Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the only podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm joined here by... Yogi Poliwool. Andy Palmer. And um, I guess what I wanted to start with today for this week's episode is a theme of this podcast that we've been doing for a year and a half or however long it's been. Uh, A theme has been comparing media and fictional portrayals of billionaires to what they actually do in real life. Right. So just to give you an example, you know, Bruce Wayne, Batman, fictional billionaire who builds a giant, who uses a bunch of his fortune to build a giant, you know, bat cave underground mm-hmm. that he uses to fight crime. Right. Well, there is a real-life equivalent of that. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's the billionaire we're talking about this week. His name is Henry Nicholas III. And so he spent $30 million of his fortune building a secret underground lair uh, where he did drugs and banged prostitutes <laughs> without his wife knowing. He had to build a lair for this? He couldn't yes, just go to a hotel room? because he was married, and so you uh, want yeah. to have a lair so that you can leave your wife and go down to your your bat lair. Where it's, it's very sad how a person being married is really what stops them from their ultimate domain of craziness. Well, you know, it's it's inconvenient because, like, if, if you're gone from the house, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, like, booking a plane ticket, your wife could figure it out. Sure, but if course. you're just like, hey, I'll be in the basement doing work... <laughs> And then that's where all the fucking ecstasy and the prostitutes are, that he was flying into this lair. I mean, I gotta say, you know, that's a solid way to do it. I mean, outside the fact that he got caught, what else are you going to do in an underground lair? What did it look like when the prostitutes weren't there? (laughs) Did it just look like an office? Uh, Well, there is a description of it in Vanity Fair, if you want me to read you... That's uh, just a direct quote from Great Gatsby when he doesn't <laughs> clean the place and it's all dusty and stuff. So do a little theater of your mind and imagine what a 30 million underground fuck lair looks like. Also put yourself in the shoes of his wife. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> who's just looking over this thing and being like, yeah, I'm sure he's doing work for his company in here. Right. I'm just imagine his wife in the kitchen noticing the ground shake and being like, is that an earthquake? <laughs> What's be- going on? That conversation started like this. So, hon, I think we should have a pool. And I might be digging a little bit more, but it's just so we can have a nice pool in the backyard. Also, just to set the table real quick, this is a guy who uh, got rich making computer chips. And we'll get right. back to that. And also, uh, he created the company that manufactures Raspberry Pis, mm-hmm. uh, the, the little... Uh, toy computer so yeah okay going back to the dungeon here (laughs) uh so this is from vanity fair this is an actual description uh and it begins like this imagine if you will a secret warren of rooms filled with any amenity you could ask for from top of the line sound equipment to a jacuzzi decorated in an extravagant style that could be described as a harem fantasy gone wild the ceilings are over 12 feet high one room has a central column covered in 24 karat gold leaf A series of large buttresses, also covered in gold, radiate from the central column, which in turn is surrounded by
by seating for 10. Fabulous materials and artifacts cover every square inch. Uh, brocade from Spain, lustrous uh, red velvets, arches carved in India, statues of Buddha and Shiva. Very insulting to you, Yogi. Uh, Persian rugs. One person who worked on the space is almost at a loss for words when asked to describe it. It was so over the top you have never seen anything like it. So, Dennis, why do you just tell us why I've like... Yeah, um, I'm going to go downstairs and dictate some important work things <laughs> to the uh, to the very tightly dressed teenagers that just came in. I'm going to I'm going to go downstairs and uh, clean things for two weeks. <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah. And, and so it is just something where it's like, in my opinion, and I think we've established this pretty well on this podcast. Anyone who's like hoarding $1 billion for themselves, knowing that all the uh, uh, poverty and uh, starvation and destitution, and homelessness and all these things there are in the world, right. they're not going to use that money in an altruistic way. They're going to build fuck dens or they're going to like hire children to do whatever Epstein did. And the, just the reality is that we, as the general public, will only ever know the smallest sl sliver of what these billionaires are actually doing with their money because, you know, they have the resources to keep it quiet and protect themselves. Okay, Sean. Well, let's say you created a million jobs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are you saying that you shouldn't be allowed to build a fuck den? <laughs> That is a good question. If you wasn't married, outside of the drugs and illegal crime of prostitution, is anything he he's doing wrong, Sean? Yeah, I think that's what Steinbeck said, is every American doesn't support socialism because they view themselves as a temporarily <laughs> inconvenienced <laughs> fuck-den owner. Sean, why is it that anytime one of our billionaires does something vaguely Eastern or Indian, I should be personally offended? You don't see me being like, Sean, this billionaire drank Irish whiskey. I have a real detriment to your people. According to someone else, he called his fucked end the Ganesh Room, Ugh. which, you know, Yogi was telling me I didn't know is the Indian uh, elephant god, mm -hmm. right? Which I just. God I of what? Fuck dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure what he's the god of. I'd, I'd look it up, but. Uh, God damn it, Yogi. This uh, is your religion. Okay, first of all, Andy, uh, do you know everything about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Yes. What's his middle name? H. <laughs> Got you there. Um, yeah, I don't know why he called it Ganeshram. It could be linked to something actually valid, or it could just be a billionaire liking to say the word Ganesh and convincing people that it's somehow more spiritual than it really is. You because think he fucked uh, an elephant in there? <laughs> Could you? Yeah, I mean, 12 feet high ceilings. You could. Sean, do you think he could have fucked an elephant in there? I didn't ask if he could have. I asked if he did. <sighs> they had to shut it down when uh, Hannibal brought the elephants into the <laughs> fuck den. <laughs> but it is just something where it's like, you know, again, you look at all these billionaires being referred to as a, quote, philanthropist. Alps. And we'll kind of get into... We'll kind of get into Henry Nicholas's uh, philanthropy, but you know, again, like you compare, say, fictional Bruce Wayne to Tony Stark, you know, Iron Man, and it's like if there was a billionaire who built an Iron Man suit, he would just use it to incinerate homeless people in his driveway. You there know? are several people making Iron Man type suits. You see them on YouTube constantly. They're still not there yet, but very soon, you know how we're seeing a whole bunch of like you know white kids with. Uh, enough money and emotional problems to afford AK-47s, among other guns, to kill mm -hmm. people. It's the same thing, but people that can build super suits. If they don't have good social skills, you'll see uh, horrible atrocities committed with those coming to a neighborhood near you. I like the Frenchman who built that uh, Green Goblin 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. rocket thing and tried to cross the English Channel and just crashed. Oh, really? Yeah. Someone else did it recently and, and, and was able to get over it. Oh. But it wasn't the Green Goblin looking dude. It was someone else. Oh, I just meant Green Goblin looking. The uh, suit. Yeah. Oh, okay. There was a guy that did it recently and he had like a hover pad thing, but that's similar. No, to yeah, the, that's what I was saying. Yeah. No, he, he crashed. crashed? He, didn't, he didn't hit. He had to go to a refueling yeah. uh, floaty and he missed it. What a weak bitch. Yeah. <laughs> the sharks were like, this person tastes terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know uh, there was so much steel in human meat. <laughs> oh, what is this, pumpkin? Uh, but so, the, well, just a couple other things before we move on to you know the general biography of Henry Nicholas. How did this III. guy get caught? He, me two times up. Well, or so, what happened? So this is what we're kind of going through here because like first off, we should be noted like this fucked in. Like he would also have parties there uh, as well as above ground, but he also like did it to like avoid noise complaints from the neighbors. Sure, would have sure. parties in the fucked in. And from this Vanity Fair profile, there was just one rule for those who came to party: everyone eats butt. <laughs> Uh, quote, you couldn't leave before Nicholas did. Oh, really? Which I think is very inconvenient. Like, he's a billionaire. He doesn't have to yeah, go to work right, in the morning. Right, right. You know, I, I, I probably got to fucking call it a night at the fuck Ugh. den at 6 a.m. <laughs> Was his wife punch just in for my shift. Upstairs binge watching Downton Abbey this whole time. <laughs> How did he hide this from her? Well, eventually he gets caught. But, uh, but it's t- not by her. It's not her opening a door and being like, Nicholas! No, eventually, he he managed to keep this going for about four years. Oh, so like, yeah. So days of our lives. How many <laughs> shows did she have? <laughs> she ran out of prestige television. <laughs> <laughs> they must have had all the shows available. I mean, they got Showtime, they got HBO, they got Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime. There's a lot of content out there. Yeah, so like, I mean, actually, about four years worth. <laughs> I guess he built like so. He his his thing was like ethernet plug so he just like made the whole house as internet compatible <laughs> as possible and as like reliable as possible so the internet would never mm-hmm. go down and she would always be entertained while he was having his ecstasy orgies mm-hmm. i mean was he successful in these orgies where he, was he throwing down a whole bunch of parties or was it like a low-key type of thing there's like according to the vanity fair profile he threw i'm not sure if it was bir- his birthday party or some sort of party where he bragged to attendees about how he was dating nine different women at the party but wow. they didn't know it so i mean like it was something where essentially uh this this vanity fair profile um uh, what's it called imagine the balls of that i'm dating nine women at this party and they all don't know that I'm dating them. Also, they're all here right now. Yeah. Well, so anyways, the, the point was, um, the, the this Vanity Fair long piece came out in 2008. It's called Dr. Nicholas and Mr. Hyde. And uh, I recommend it. It's pretty fascinating. But the basic story is, like, according to people who know him, so uh, to give you the cliff notes ahead, and then we'll kind of go a little bit more into detail later, uh, Broadcom is this chip maker that mm-hmm. does an IPO right in the middle of the dot-com boom in 1998. So people say after 1998, he just totally changed because he became an overnight billionaire. Sure. So he started building his fuck den and then in 1998 and from 98 or 99 to around 2002 is when his wife catches him in the fuck den. So he, he keeps this going for a good four years and then gets divorced and then his life gets even more Wait, sad. You, you said after 98 when he starts it and then around 2000 yes. because you know, essentially th- like, this has got to be y2k prepping 
that's how he got away with it. No, 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 hon, trust me. Y2K is going to be crazy big. We're going to need a dungeon. It's going to be 12 feet ceilings. Like, okay, I just, you know, I'm just going to be watching Friends upstairs. Yeah, I trust me. You watch Friends all you want. I really need to focus on this downstairs uh, bunker for Y2K. Is there is there any evidence that he heavily invested in the DVD box set? <laughs> <laughs> um, but so basically... With Henry Nicholas III, and uh, again, we'll kind of circle back to the beginning in a minute here, but there are a few things I want to get through up top that are that are notable. So because of his fuck den and because they were doing some shady stock manipulations, mm-hmm. he is charged by the government with illegally backdating stock options in 2009. We'll kind of get back to that. And he's also charged with uh, drug charges because his, you know, ecstasy, methamphetamine, cocaine empire is like... It's at a pretty staggering scale. Oh, really? But essentially, the um, the stock options backdating charges are dropped due to prosecutorial misconduct, and the drug charges are later dropped. Uh, but it should be noted that around that time, federal prosecutors said he should be denied uh, bail uh, due to his pro uh, due to his uh, propensity for witness intimidation. <laughs> Apparently, he has said he could quote have people killed. Um, and, uh, also the fact that he had a personal army, uh, he had his personal security requires that three armed guards patrol his home at all times. And they're mostly like Navy SEALs sure, and, sure. uh, former police and military. Yeah, you can afford the best when you can afford anything. Yeah. But so basically he gets out of jail, uh, from this, uh, or he avoids jail 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. but then August, 2018, he was caught in a Nevada hotel, a Las Vegas hotel room. Uh, with Ashley Fargo, who's his current girlfriend. This is August 2018. Flash forward. Right. His current girlfriend is the ex-wife of the Wells Fargo heir. Oh. And uh, I'm just reading from Nevada Current here. And uh, they're caught in this hotel room. And uh, as I read this, please just imagine Vince McMahon getting more excited. <laughs> uh, because were, they, were they scamming some kids out of uh, a good marching season. band instruments? <laughs> uh, Using a wagon? So uh, police found, again, Vince McMahon getting more excited. Police found 96 grams of methamphetamine, 4.24 grams of heroin, 15.13 grams of cocaine, and 17.1 grams of psilocybin mushrooms. Wow. And uh, under Nevada law, this is a uh, Class B felony, which uh, happens to require a minimum imprisonment in state prison for a minimum two years, maximum not more than 20 years. Hmm. Uh, As of two days ago, he will not be doing anywhere between two and 20 years in prison. Um, Good behavior? Yeah, so the... The uh, Clark County District just Attorney... Assume, he didn't like Steph in jail, but they're like, we, we just assume good behavior. <laughs> so the Clark County District Attorney is a guy named Steve Wolfson. Um, he just cut this deal with him that was announced two days ago. They're going to plead it August 26. Uh, and it just so happens that this Clark County dis- uh, District Attorney, Steve Wolf- Wolfson, appeared in several campaign ads supporting uh, Marcy's Law, which just so happens to be a uh, crime victim's rights law mm-hmm. that Henry Nicholas has been pushing. Hmm. So essentially, Henry Nicholas has his so-called philanthrop- uh, philanthropic activities is supporting this this law right. that prosecutors happen to love for reasons we'll get into, uh, that this prosecutor <laughs> appeared in, in television advertisements for. Um, so basically, what's going to happen is... Uh, hey, the- man, you, everyone needs a commercial if you want to make it in this business. That's right. That's right. So according to the... You can't make it without marketing yourself, Sean. Yeah. yeah. 
According to the Nevada Current, rather than attend drug court, which requires intensive treatment and drug testing, the deal calls for the two of them to participate in two drug counseling sessions a month, uh, perform 250 hours of community service over one year, and pay 500000 each to a drug treatment facility. Uh, and then this is important. Failure to comply will result in a finding, in a finding of, of guilt on one count of possession and a probationary charge, meaning the two will avoid prison regardless of their compliance. Wow. So even if they just ignore this right. like sweetheart plea deal, there's no chance they can go to prison. And it's just something where, um, you know, obviously we, we don't support draconian uh, drug laws on this podcast. I do. I think yes. they're pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> we, we follow the Thailand model of socialism, yeah, which not? is, of course, hanging people for bringing drugs. <laughs> it's crazy how lenient the courts are with billionaires that I do want to hear it. A part of me goes... Well, if it was like that for everyone, I wouldn't be so mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, drug possession, it, it sounds like they were having a good time. And if yeah. you weren't a billionaire, it'd be like, yeah, party on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but but they, when, I, when I said that thing about we don't support draconian drug laws, our guest, Philippines President Duarte, walked out in fury. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, you know... Anytime a non-billionaire has that amount of drugs, and it's not intent to sell, mm. part of me is like, well, whatever your life is, it's justifying whatever you're trying to do right now. But with this guy, what is he? So is he divorced from that wife when he has his girlfriend? Yeah, he uh, got divorced from his wife in 2006. So he's not even doing guilt drugs. He's just doing fun party drugs. Come on. Right. This guy should go to prison for much longer. What if he did intend to sell just like small level street dealing? <laughs> My ex-wife was really into the show Breaking Bad, and <laughs> it's like I got hooked. You know, I I watched The Wire, and I was like, I want I bet I could be pretty good at working the corner. <laughs> I mean, if you had no risk uh, liability to dealing drugs, wouldn't you try it out? <laughs> try to work the corner? Yeah, why not? I don't. I don't think the law is the biggest danger <laughs> when you're selling drugs on the corner. Well, I mean, no risk though, no liability. Like you could get away with it regardless. You, you wouldn't think to well, yourself, that's not the real experience then. That's true. That's a fair that's, point. That's that's that's. Uh, but billionaires pay for a fake that's experience Stringer constantly. Bell's fantasy camp. This is just a safari to them. They just want to experience what it's like to be in the wild yeah. without actually being in the wild. That's true. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting. I mean, it's like essentially the point is the written law. Like we we have you know let's say conservative or even liberal people who worship this concept of the written law, mm-hmm. and it's a good idea. You know, code of Harambe. What it, <laughs> code of code Harambe. of Harambe. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Get uh, the dick out of your mouth. The Code of Hammurabi, right? Nobody correct me. The point is... Hammurabi. Yeah. The, the point is, you know, we worship the written law and we say this is, you know, the height of all civilization, but it's not really worth Takes that. Takes out for Hammurabi. <laughs> Takes out for the Code of Hammurabi. <laughs> <laughs> Western a dick tra- out for a dick out. <laughs> You take your dick out, I'll take my dick out. (laughs) The Code of Harambe laid down the specific circumstances (laughs) under which you may take your dick out. (laughs) Before that, there was no codified system in which you could take your dick out. It certainly wasn't written down. No, no. (laughs) It was in sign language at one point. (laughs) The, The point is, you know, we worship this, and it's like, yeah, sure, it's a good thing, but... It doesn't fucking matter if the state is only going to enforce it selectively. Yeah, of course. Which we see again and again. So you have this written law that says, hey, two years, mandatory minimum if you get caught with 100 grams of this shit. But if you're a billionaire, it doesn't fucking matter. And, you know, we see that again with, you know, Wall Street, uh, uh, mortgage, foreclosure, fraud, and all this other uh, countless examples you could go through. 
And I think also the, the actual implementation of it is in the hands of ideologically, like a yes. small group of ideologically motivated people, right? Who the, serve life terms, right? The fucking or or just the and district attorney who appears in ads with this guy, mm-hmm. like even if you wasn't already favorably disposed to him or wasn't already intimidated by his defense attorneys and their high prices, he's just like, hey, I actually fucking got a check to appear in this guy's ad that makes my job easier. But guys, if we make it harder. For rich people to commit crimes mm-hmm. when i'm more rich how can i commit the same crimes and even more the hypocritical thing and then i'll just do this and then we'll go through the, his biography but even more the hypocritical thing when it comes to henry nicholas iii is he's uh, been a big backer of what we kind of alluded to here is a proposal called marcy's law and the aclu has written about the dangers of marcy's law marcy's law has been adopted by ballot measure in uh, five different states i believe and so, essentially, Marcy's Law... This is a law that uh, got Jay-Z to build the Barclays Center, so come on here. Yes. Uh, Marcy's Law uh, purports to represent victims' rights. And they will uh, run these TV ads that are, you know, very persuasive because they'll interview people who say, like, you know, my brother, my sister, whoever was murdered. And, you know, it's, it's very sad. And they'll say, you know, victims have certain rights. But the problem is, and the ACLU article uh, lays this out pretty well, is the... It puts the rights of the accused exist to protect people from the state because the rights of the accused are the state is saying we're going to put you in a cage for fucking ever or however long it may be. And you have certain rights to establish your innocence that we can't, you know, trip you up and frame an innocent person or at least it's supposed to be as hard as possible to do that. So Marcy's Law, among other things, according to the ACLU, Uh, gives victims the rights to restitution, to reasonable protection, and to, quote, refuse depositions and discovery requests, all of which are enforced against the defendant. I mean, you're saying this now, but put yourself in the position of someone who happens to live next door to an undesirable minority, (laughs) and you're the victim of them polluting your people's gene pool. Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel about the other hosts on this podcast. What do I do? Uh, (laughs) Death camps. (laughs) But it's like, you know, the point is the victims uh, or supposed victims, if this is an innocent person we're dealing with, now have the right under these fi- in these five states to refuse depositions and discovery requests. So that just makes the defense attorney's job that much harder, which is why prosecutors love this shit. You know, and just according to the ACLU, Marcy's law includes a constitutional right to privacy for victims, yet it doesn't expand on what that actually means. So ACLU asks, would it... ACLU asks, would it prevent the release of names or crime report? Would it reduce the amount of information that press outlets are allowed to provide the public regarding these crimes? It's just there's a lot of, you know, uh, messy, loose ends in this law that end up being counterproductive, uh, particularly on the deposition and discovery front that I do think will result in more innocent people going to prison and also just people... And also, just at the end of the day, we do have a mass incarceration problem in this country. And it's not entirely clear to me that, say, putting somebody in prison for 40 years as opposed to putting them in prison for 20 or 25 years makes any goddamn difference. You know, I mean... Yeah, I mean, the only difference it makes is the amount of free labor that the privatized (laughs) prisons are going to get out of the individual. Like, that's, that's literally the only thing, right? I mean, outside of the impact that individual would have outside the prison whether it be positive or negative it's just about how much free labor you can get out of a citizen mm-hmm. i mean seriously do you want your victoria's secret to get more expensive <laughs> oh that's a good point you know what's interesting i learned this yeah. when a friend of mine worked at victoria's secrets most uh, mannequins cost like 
not too much, a couple hundred dollars or something. Mm-hmm. The Victoria's Secret mannequins cost like a couple of grand because they have nipples. Mm. Isn't that weird? The nipples cost extra <laughs> the money. The nipples cost extra money. But now, like, even the cheap stores where I live, all their mannequins have nipples. I mean, they might be getting a cheaper stock from Victoria's Secret X amount of years ago, oh. but comparatively, they, they cost extra because uh, Jeffrey Epstein made them pay the guy to <laughs> model it after a fourteen-year-old. <laughs> yes, that's exactly why, Sean. That's the research that my friend told me about. Why can't you just like put a little lump of silly putty on the boob, make an impromptu nipple? You ever try and make an impromptu nipple, Andy? By the way, guys, yes. Andy is a virgin. <laughs> That's what nipples are like. Silly putty, right? I don't know. Put up a little wad of paper under uh, um, packaging tape. You got a nipple for your mannequin. I mean, like, you know, as ludicrous as it does sound, you are right. It would be cheaper to make a fake nipple than to spend money on. But then again, you know. You Andy, re- Andy leaves the podcast to start a multi-billion dollar sex robot startup. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. He got the nipple so perfectly. <laughs> no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to undercut. Whoever these fraudsters are that are making yeah. Victoria's Secret nipples by just offering a discount service, you know, instead of paying like an extra $2,000 for a mannequin with nipples, right. you pay me just $1,000 <laughs> and I'll per mannequin and yeah, I'll sure. put nipples on all your mannequins. <laughs> I just love that Palmer's like business strategy at the moment is like, you know, I'm just going to go to stores that got mannequins without them nipples and I'm going, hey, you want mannequins with nipples? I'm your guy. <laughs> How am I going to get them? You don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy ends up a level three sex offender. <laughs> no, I need to see your nipples for research. No, I'm, uh, I'm building a mannequin. Andy's on the podcast. Like, look, I just I didn't know that Victoria's Secret was next to a school district. So the prosecutors <laughs> put some extra charges on me. Um, the real plan is to eventually model them after my own nipples and have them take over the mannequins. <laughs> And put my personality into the mannequins right. and build an army from them. <laughs> Each one with a different variation of my soul. Wait a second. I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I guess the last thing is that as far as Henry Nicholas goes, and let's say his hypocrisy on this particular charge, uh, according to Vanity Fair, one of his biggest political battles was in the fall of 2004 when California was about to pass a law known as Prop 66, which would have limited the state's three strikes rule. You might be familiar with that in American justice is that if you have two violent felonies, you get a third felony, you are sentenced to life in prison, which is, you know... Uh, extremely punitive, especially because, you know, so much of our prison overpopulation is a result of these kinds of three-strike offenses where I don't think it makes society any better to just just kill somebody, essentially, put them in prison for the rest of their life. I like that it's a a law that refers to baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what my problem with, you know, making the three strikes law even more restricted Mm -hmm. is it's going to be an even more pitcher-dominated criminal justice system. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, the, it's boring enough as it is. I mean... I want to see people on bases. It just, to me, feels like, you know, such an archaic way to look at fucking the law. <laughs> you know, like, at no point are they going to be like, well, this is the 10-yard rule, and uh, over here we got the uh, traveling rule. You know, it's like, to put law terms in sports terms just mm-hmm. seems so idiotic. And honestly, harkens back to an era when they were like, hmm gotta name something with three of them uh, three strikes uh why not you know like like they had one frame of reference yeah the three strikes law is famous for giving people the death penalty for bat flipping 
so the uh, according to Vanity Fair, this Prop 66 was supposed to kind of roll back three strikes and make it less punitive. Uh, the measure looked like it was going to pass until Nicholas got invited, uh, invited by, involved uh, with a prosecutor who was uh, a, a guy named Steve Ibsen, a veteran prosecutor who was trying to thwart Prop 66. Uh, so he, Nicholas paid... Uh, some $3 million to put together two radio ads. They sent a plane to Oakland to get California, former California Governor Jerry Brown to record one of these radio ads. Um, and the ballot issue, which was supposed to pass by a considerable margin, didn't. Uh, the truth is, uh, he did it, says Ibsen about Nicholas. Hmm. So essentially, he spent $3 million of his own money keeping people in prison. Well, he's walking free today because he has that kind of money. Sure. And that's the end of the day. Um, oh, and the last thing from the Vanity Fair on this. Uh, among other awards, Nicholas has received the Ronald Reagan Award for Pioneering Achievement in Criminal Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, Who else got that award, you know? Uh, Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The Contras. Okay, okay. all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody selling crack in the oh, 80s oh, okay. for the CIA. Well, didn't expect that. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you have to do a lot of damage to the black community to get that award. <laughs> Jay-Z became the first black man to win that award. <laughs> um, but I guess... What's better than one Ronald Reagan? <laughs> what is it called? Uh, the Ronald Reagan Award for Pioneering Achievement in Criminal Justice. What's better than one of those? Two. <laughs> the, uh, the, the guy who invented the current cocktail used in lethal injections also got it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so to go back and start from the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, so he's, it should be noted, Henry Nicholas III, according to Forbes, as of August 2019, worth about $3.8 billion. Ooh. So he co-founded Broadcom in 1991. He retired in 2003. But to go all the way back to the beginning, he's born uh, 1959 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, sorry, just give me a... I'll tell you what he's not spending low. that money on. Convincing hair dye. <laughs> Yeah, this dude is a real... Um, he's got, like, John McAfee levels of unconvincing just for men. He's got one of those leather faces where it's like, yo, you've been in the sun too long or not enough? Yeah. See, he does look like shit, but he actually looks pretty good for supporting a $3.8 billion drug habit. <laughs> I mean, Like, when sense. you consider the amount of fucking blow this guy has done, he's actually quite, quite fit and healthy for yeah, his he age. He doesn't have Mick Jagger face yeah. yet. But so, according to this Vanity Fair profile we've mentioned here, and this is my primary source for this episode, uh, he was born, Nick, Henry Nicholas III was born in 1959 in Cincinnati, Ohio. His father was an IRS attorney who struggled with alcohol problems. That's Henry Nicholas II? Yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, Nicholas told the LA Times that his father was, quote, fairly abusive to his mother. Mm. And basically his mother, they separated when he was four years old, and his mother took him to uh, Santa Monica, California. So he left there. And uh, basically, she she later remarried uh, to a guy named Robert Leach, who was a screenwriter and teacher who wrote some scripts for the TV show Perry Mason, among <laughs> other things. Um, there's a weird anecdote. Um, Wait, she married a screenwriter, presumably around the 70s? Uh, in the 667. 67. Yes. And the kid they raised grew up to do a lot of coke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that does add up, Andy. That's a good point. Huh. Yeah. Wait a second. Are you saying showbiz plus money plus time equals drugs? No. Oh, okay. 
According to this, uh, when they were f- when he was first introduced to his uh, future stepfather, he told his mom, "quote Mom, he knows my name" in a very excited fashion. So that's that's this, in the article. Yes, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Damn, that's that's disappointing. You know, once I was in a, a falafel joint mm-hmm. and I like put my trash in the thing. It was one of those like f- flap down doors for the trash, and I held it open for the lady behind me, also throwing out her trash, and she just went. Oh, Thank you so, so much. And me and my friend were like, lady, I just held the trash can open for you. Like, <laughs> what type of terrible life are you living where common courtesy in throwing away your fucking falafel leftovers is making you have this much of an emotional response? Maybe she was just racist and thought you worked there. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Um, but so in, in 1977, he graduated from Santa Monica High School. Uh, he apparently participated in the Strategy and Tactics Club. We make the the teaser snippet for the Paul McCartney episode, Sean being racist towards Yogi. <laughs> <laughs> we get a bunch of like new patrons and Sean's like, I figured it out. I'm going to be as racist towards Yogi as I possibly can. We're going to be swimming in cash. People are like, no, it wasn't really the Nick Mullen or the Matt Chrisman episode. We just liked it when they told us we could wokely be racist <laughs> to an Indian guy. I mean, if that Indian guy knows that he's better than both of you, then I think yeah. it's fine. I don't, I don't see the issue with it. Uh, so uh, uh, Nicholas, uh, he went by Nick when he was younger. He uh, participated in the Strategy and Tactics Club at high school, uh, as well as debate. He was an outstanding student. Strategy and Tactics Club. Yeah. You know, what, what, what is that? War? War war shit? Or like what, what, what is strategy and tactics? Well, they had to close it down after an unfortunate incident <laughs> at the uh, Columbine branch of the Strategy <laughs> and Tactics Club in 1999. No, but really, do we not know what this is? It's just uh, like a group that probably, strategizes? Yeah, it's play, probably they play like Stratego and chess. Like, yeah, war games and shit. Like yeah. they're not as cool as the people in the chess club. <laughs> right. They're not playing chess competitively. They're just yeah. studying the strategies to play chess. Yeah, they suck at chess, but they want to lo- look better <laughs> than the chess club. Right, 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 right. That's why you got to build a sex den because you're overcompensating for getting bullied by the chess club. <laughs> I will say that the is, is his dad uh, abusing his mother. Yeah. Uh, the only time he deals with abuse in his life, or is are there any other moments of bullying? Uh, I think because there is a through yeah. line of bullying with all the billionaires we've covered, right. and we'll kind of get to. He's pretty abusive to his workforce. Which, okay, you know, so he becomes the first abuser. Silicon Valley. Valley billionaire to do that. Gotcha. He is a trendsetter. Uh, So he was a great student. He went on to the U.S. Air Force Academy, um, but he told people he dropped out after three years because he was too tall to be a fighter pilot. Um, He got a B.S. in electrical engineering, UCLA, in 1982, and his master's in 1985. Um, But I guess it should be noted here, while he was at UCLA in 1983, his sister is uh, shot and killed by her ex-boyfriend who stalked her. And this is kind of like his rationale for pushing these Marcy laws and stuff mm. is, you know, this kind of victim's rights stuff, which, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with the idea of victim's rights. It's just when it actually comes into straight up conflict with uh, the presumption of innocence for people who are accused and facing, you know, absolute hell inside the carceral state we've set up here. Um, Us personally. Yes. Oh, his sister was named Marcy Lee. Is that why they're Marcy Laws? Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah his sister Marcy. Yeah, yeah Marcella. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you don't see a lot of Marcellas these days. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of an old name these days. I just met like several Marcellas at once. Were you 
at a Puerto Rican day he was, parade. He was talking to the <laughs> He was talking to the Victoria's Secret mannequins. <laughs> where were you where you met a whole bunch of Marcellas? Oh, uh, it's just like through my girlfriend. Oh. She's Ooh. Hispanic, I guess. That's <laughs> Yeah, that adds up. Yeah. I met a whole bunch of uh, Marcellas when my girlfriend brought me to this underground dungeon she had set up <laughs> below our apartment. Um, yeah, so Henry Nicholas uh, meets uh, a guy named Henry uh, Samuel- Samueli in uh, early 19, like 85, 86. They're both working at a defense contractor called TRW, and uh, Sa- Henry Samueli. Uh, will become the co-founder of Broadcom, basically. Because hmm. uh, they're working at this defense contractor. Uh, then they uh, go on to work at some other company. Uh, in 88, uh, Samueli uh, starts to work for a uh, startup called Paragain. Uh, he brings Nicholas along, but uh, Nicholas gets fired after it's found out that he started comp- he started cultivating his own business interests on company time. Basically, he's like in 88, 89, he's trying to set up his own business on the sure. other yeah, company's right, right. time. Um, oh, and we should mention at this defense contractor, TRW, he meets his wife, uh, uh, Stacy, Stacy Feller. She was also an electrical engineer there. Um, they're You're ma- talking about the billionaire recovering currently or the other yes. guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, sorry. Hen- Henry Nicholas at TRW meets his wife. They're married in 1987. They have three children. And they would later divorce because of uh, aforementioned sex dungeon. So she went down to a sex. She uh, also uh, an electrical engineer. She goes down into right. his uh, work den. Yep. Mm-hmm. His sex dungeon and goes. Oh yes, this looks like where we work. <laughs> Us electrical engineers. Yes, this Ganesh room that has yeah. gold and uh, jacuzzis among. Many other paraphernalia that I can't describe at this time. And candy his, dishes full of pills. <laughs> his, his super petty electrical engineer wife walks into the sex dungeon and then starts reporting all the code violations. <laughs> <laughs> his wiring's loose. Um, yeah. Oh, and then I was thinking about him getting down on one knee and falling into the sex dungeon. <laughs> uh, but so regardless, you know, they're married 87, they have three children, and... Um, so, uh, Samueli, Henry Samueli and Henry Nicholas III are working at this company together, but then uh, they both leave to, to become professors at UCLA. Uh, this is late 80s, early 90s, but then in 1991, they co-found Baseband Technology. It will later become called Broadband. But at, Broadcom. At, yeah, Broadcom, excuse me. But Baseband, and it started with each of them investing about $5,000, <laughs> and they work out of uh, Nicholas's uh, Redondo Beach condominium. Uh, and Nicholas was essentially the CEO, while Samuel, uh, Samueli was the uh, chief technology officer. So it was mainly he was doing the tech, and uh, Nicholas was more on the business side. But it's interesting where... And again, I'm not an expert on the computer chip industry, so please, uh, listeners, if you know something I'm wrong about, correct me here. But essentially, my understanding is that uh, the two of them patent some sort of chip that becomes very widely used uh, throughout the PC desktop revolution Could of you the 90s. Cut back on the technical jargon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just from Vanity Fair, it was making chips that enable, well, later on, uh, voice, video, data, and multimedia to travel at high speeds to just about any destination from cable set top boxes to wireless networks. So, you know, PCs, televisions, like, they're really in on this in the uh, early days. Yeah, so it looks like they were essentially building um, 
uh, products that were largely geared towards like the telecom uh, boom, mm-hmm. uh, basically, you know, things that went on to be like Ethernet uh, right. processors, uh, internet compatibility devices, land. Yeah, basically mm-hmm. things that um, were they they were in the right place at the right time for the internet boom. Right now, that makes sense because like that era started a lot of the like um, you know everything we're seeing now when it comes to like smart TVs and uh, uh, set top boxes with uh, internet capabilities. Some of that was introduced in like the mid to late '90s, but the internet speeds were not fast enough to you know, take advantage of the true capabilities of the devices mm-hmm. or, you know, other factors that I can't think of in this moment. But so the fact that they were there literally at a time where everything's adding internet capability, whether it's your TV to your phone to your fridge, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, right place, right time. But so they're working there in the early 90s. In 95, they moved to uh, Laguna Beach in Orange County. Uh, you know, they... Uh, the OC? Yeah. Uh, according to this Vanity Fair, uh, Henry Nicholas III would tol- told others at Broadcom that he was the rare personality type on Myers-Briggs called the Mastermind. Oh. Which means he's an INTJ. Oh. Yeah. So... Uh, I think I got that once. Yeah. Well, apparently we're only 1% of the population. Oh. And uh, oh. we are known as the Masterminds. Hmm. Uh, but... I think it's pronounced Mastermind. Yeah. Uh, no hard R. Yeah. So, and, you know, he's kind of like a freak who, like, drives his employees into just crazy work hours. He uh, would brag to the press about how he and Stacy, his wife at the time, decided to induce the birth of their daughter uh, so that he could leave for a presentation to investors when Broadcom was about to go oh, public. really? So, 1998. So, you know... Um, uh, babe, I gotta, I gotta run. Can we wrap this uh, whole pregnancy uh, thing up uh, real yeah. quick? Uh, I, got a, I got a show to do. The miracle of life is interrupted for the miracle of IPOs. Babe, I'm a mastermind, okay? You don't see me hanging out with these wackos. Look at these other dads in this pregnancy ward. You want me to become like them? I'm going to be a star one day. I'm going to have my own sex dungeon. I mean, working basement where I code. Yeah, when they did that uh, sex dungeon plot line, I think that was a real sweeps week <laughs> ratings grab. I mean, Misha Barton wasn't even in that episode, and it's like, if you're going to do a sex dungeon episode, it's got to be with Misha Barton. Mm-hmm. What happened to her career? I don't oh, know. Oh, she's older than 25? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, do any of them still have careers? Yeah. So, just there's like... A, no. Just, a couple anecdotes about the working conditions at Broadcom here. Uh, one um, investor remembers going to a meeting at 9 a.m. and there were only a handful of cars there. He asked if people were traveling. He was told that, no, it was common to have people come in a little later from a short nap because they'd often work until 6 or 7 in the morning. Um, well, that, that's nice. Yeah. Hey, you guys come in late if, you, if you've been here all night. Uh, there's another anecdote from the Vanity Fair piece. Uh, once at a bi-weekly meeting for executives, uh, Nicholas was displeased with uh, the assistant controller's report, so he rolled up the papers into a thick bar and smacked the guy over the head with it. Like a dog? Yeah. Um, apparently, Henry Nicholas also joked that he'd almost named the company Broads.com. <laughs> uh, please with a Z. Please yeah. Broads with a Z. And uh, he bragged to reporters uh, about his passion for, like, heavy metal, Metallica, corn. And it's like he gets rich, and then he starts kind of working out. And then this is where, again, the IPO 98, and he's kind of... I mean, you laugh at him trying to name it Broads.com, but mm-hmm. GoDaddy's been around. Yeah, that's for right. Fucking, and their whole ad campaign was like, 
We make websites that'll fuck you. <laughs> you know how the internet's about fucking. That's what yeah. we do. That is what every GoDaddy.com advertisement was. And you know yeah. what's crazy? They got that uh, what Danica Patrick, is that her name? The race car driver to be in the ads at the end of it. Oh, yeah. And it's like, GoDaddy, what are you... You're going to be a champion of female sports stars in mostly male-dominated fields while also just being a website uh, domain name contributor that's mostly had scantily clad women on the on the commercials forever? What are you doing, GoDaddy? Websites that you can fuck with. And we're sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're sponsored by a competitor to GoDaddy. <laughs> um, StopMommy.com. <laughs> You ever watch Stop Mommy videos? <laughs> yeah, they're like really slow-mo but fast all at the same mm-hmm. time. <laughs> it's like... Uh, it's, it's. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just get high and you're like, let's see what the Stop Mommy videos are up to. You watch like four of them and feel just gross. I mean, it's made by the same people that did the Wallace and Gromit <laughs> movies, but uh, it's a lot darker. It's a, it's a woman and her cat, and there are no children involved, but that mommy yeah, needs your stuff. <laughs> you just can't get blood squirts the same way as you can yeah. with stop motion. That's right. They did it with the jam in Wallace and Gromit, but I knew where the original <laughs> squirting motion came from. Stop, mommy, is what he said uh, when his wife went into labor <laughs> just before the shareholders <laughs> meeting. Uh but so I guess what I wanted to say here is, you know, we mentioned he's like working them to, you know, death, like in all these fucking startups, right. uh, 98, they IPO. And so it's interesting where according to Vanity Fair, they capped salaries for employees at 110,000 a year, mm-hmm. which, you know, like it's a lot, but compared to, you know, the billions that the co-founders are taking in, uh, and they kind of made up for that by giving people stock options, which in many cases were worth millions, as long as you managed to unload them before the bottom <laughs> fell. Out. Sure, sure. So just like an interesting thing kind of happens where, um, you know, Broadcom is like it's making a profit unlike most other dot com companies for for a little bit. But it's uh, it's wildly overvalued mm-hmm. like everything else in the lead up to the dot com boom. But an interesting thing happens where the stock hits its high. August 2000 is about two hundred seventy three dollars a share. Um uh, Nicholas unloads at least 117 million, like right before the bottom falls out. That's not the only time he unloaded. Yeah, uh, I think in just December 1999, they reported that he unloaded 117 million, um, and he unloaded about a billion dollars altogether wow. uh, before the the stock price. Is that not illegal to, if you know it's coming, or do you think he was just unloading? If, if, if you can be shown to have insider information that say mm-hmm. earnings are about to go down or something like that, what like, but. I mean, but how would a CEO be privy to that information? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like yeah. this guy that you know, I mean, he couldn't he couldn't have known that. You know, that's that's private information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and another interesting thing that happens here is like currently the uh, European Union is um, uh, taking actions against Broadcom for anti-competitive monopolistic practices. Why uh, really? Why don't they do that? Yeah, Broadcom has also said the FT the US FTC is looking into them as of January 2018 for these kind of anti-competitive monopolistic practices. And th- why that's relevant is while Henry Nicholas III is the CEO, he bought up over 22 other tech companies for over $6.5 billion 
and like credit and stock options and shit. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing where his company, the value is wildly inflated because of this uh, stock market bubble. And he's able to use that to buy up all these other competitors. And so now, even though he's left it, it's right. in such a dominant market position that it's like just a license to fucking print money. So you know? when he was buying all those companies, was there no oversight from the government or were they just like, we don't know what the fuck's going on? There's basically <laughs> oversight from the government. <laughs> well, you know what the fuck I mean, though. Like, I mean, was the Yogi. 90s era so robbed of uh, tech-savvy politicians? Pol Yogi, I Between know the Clinton and the Bush administration, yeah, no, they, they were cracking down, man. <laughs> Yogi, I know this is a comedy podcast, but try to keep it at least somewhat believable. I don't like when we go on these totally absurdist <laughs> tangents. Oh, what? I can't have fucking hope and optimism on the yeah. goddamn show? Uh, but so, you know, uh, it, the IPO goes in 98, he starts building his sex dungeon. Um, interesting. So the, the basic story of how he gets caught is in like, it, there's a couple different stories. I'll give you the short version in the vanity fair. He's building his sex dungeon directly under the house. He sends his wife, he goes on vacation with his wife because he thinks progress is going slow. And while they're on vacation, he has 100, over 100 contractors come in to speed rush construction on the sex dungeon. <laughs> but the thing is, like, his neighbors notice this, like, yeah. massive no-permit construction. And he has some bullshit about how he's, like, building some facilities for his horses sure, or something. Sure, sure. But so, um, basically, the new plan is after the neighbors catch him, he rents space in a warehouse in, a, in a, the industrial district and then uh, has the contractors build an exact replica of the sex dungeon over there. So, this is where he actually gets caught. Um, Wait, he's building the sex dungeon off-site so it doesn't make... Yeah. It's like an industrial facility. I don't know if there's... I think hmm. there's like a tunnel that he can like take to get over there. It's not that far from the actual mansion. And what's it about rich people in tunnels, huh? Yeah. They fucking love that shit. But so he has his new sex dungeon, basically, in this um, uh, industrial warehouse. Uh, and then in 2002, he uh, goes on vacation with the family in Colorado. Then he ditches his wife and kids to go, quote, work. And his wife comes back and catches him in the middle of having sex with a prostitute while high on ecstasy. <laughs> well, that was work for him. Yes. Oh, I believe the, the warehouse was about one mile from the property. Um, and just another interesting thing is around the same time in 2002, a group of seven, according to Vanity Fair, a group of seven contractors who had worked on the project uh, hired a lawyer to uh, sue him. The contractors contended that he used, quote, manipulation, lies and intimidation and even death threats wow. to stiff them on the bulk of the money they were due. <laughs> he also allegedly told them he'd have them killed if they ever talked about him or the work he did. Wait, so when his wife showed up, mm -hmm. she just was like, oh, hum to hum to who, I'm going to go check out what my husband's doing a mile away from home. Oh, hum to hum to who, 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 I'm going to walk over. Oh, Nicholas, you're fucking this person and you're on drugs. I don't know why she became yeah, Mexican at the end there, but... Um, apparently, like, some of the staffers and his personal assistants had, like, kind of been trying to tip his wife off because they thought between 98 and 2002, he was on just a t total downward spiral. Um, but I do like, uh, having contractors build you a sex dungeon, then threatening to kill them rather than pay them is some real El Chapo right, shit. Right. Uh, so you got to respect the hustle there. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, I'm shocked at how much, how hard he worked to be lazy and then how little he thought to work slightly harder. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like 
you know, I, I'm in a committed relationship, and if I was going to do anything nefarious, I'd be more than a, a mile away from my beloved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's not even a different area code. Yogi's like, I never set up a sex dungeon. <laughs> I much prefer a sex loft. I mean, I just feel like if I'm going to be fucking people on drugs, why would I be underground? I'd be in the sky. <laughs> if it's going to cost me the same, I might as well be where I want to be. Uh, but so his wife catches him in 2002. Uh, they try to work it out, but they divorce in 2006. <laughs> his wow, there's just, four more years of him uh, being married to this person? Yeah. I they mean, have, it's, it's hard to walk away from $3 billion. That's fair. Like, all right, well, maybe I can, like, shuffle some funds over and have my own lady sex den <laughs> in the beach house. I don't know. But wouldn't this, did she make she, it? She walked into the, the sex den and she was like, are these authentic Persian <laughs> Empire rugs? She's not mad about Look, the infidelity, just I mad mean, about how much it costs. <laughs> this is fucked up, but the architectural taste that went into this space. Is this, is this pure great heroin? You you told me it would be at least 30% fake. But so his wife, you know, finally, uh, his wife, Stacy, finally divorces him in 2006. But she says around this time that uh, he he threatened to, quote, have her whacked. And he had her tailed by men wearing gorilla masks, his ex-wife. And and one of the men wearing gorilla masks. It's just performance art. Yeah, that's not. A gorilla yeah. mask, like, like for how good they can be, are the cheapest realistic masks. Yeah. Like, masks uh, go for a pretty penny if they're well-made, but uh, gorilla masks are the cheapest full-face one. I don't know why one, I know as much about gorilla masks. One of, one of the men wearing gorilla masks threatened her in sign language <laughs> while holding a kitten. <laughs> oh, one other thing I like. That's how you know he's not, like, one of the top-tier billionaires. Right, is right. If he were a top-tier billionaire... He would have had uh, her trailed and threatened by Coco, the <laughs> <laughs> actual gorilla. So, like, because of the divorce, I think she gets to keep the mansion and has the sex dungeon destroyed, and he has to like go Aww. live somewhere else uh, in one some other mansion. Um, but the only reason we know all these details about the sex dungeon is for this uh, Vanity Fair long piece I've been reading. The interior decorator of the sex dungeon agreed to cooperate <laughs> because he was tired of people calling it a sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a, a bulk of the article is him just laying out like, yeah, he just like gave me the total freedom to design a space with like flat screen TV and, you know, Persian rugs and all these uh, gold plated columns. But he really wasn't using it as a sex dungeon wow. it was it was more like an underground bachelor cave it's gonna be the epstein defense in yeah. a few months here oh uh, speaking of canceled which canceled for cultural appropriation of those rugs. speaking of which we mentioned at the top he gets you know this uh sweetheart plea deal like two days ago right uh where he does no jail time for this felony drug charge <laughs> uh i cannot think of a person who is more happy that jeffrey epstein is dominating the news right now <laughs> Than the billionaire who did like a not nearly as creepy thing and got a sweetheart uh, deal for it. Um, but yeah, no, he's just like, it's interesting where uh, this this just totally blew out of the mainstream papers where it's like the local Las Vegas press covers this, but right. you just don't see it anywhere else. So Henry Nicholas III, you know, his, he, he gets caught by his wife 2002. It's actually um, uh, his senior IT guy 
has to turn over one of his emails to his wife to management of the company in mm-hmm. 2002, 2003, where he's like, uh, according to the uh, OC register, he sends his wife this email saying, quote, the worst part is seeing the company falling apart because I am not fully functioning. However, I don't care about Broadcom anymore. I just feel like a liar to the people I'm recruiting to new positions. So essentially, he's confessing to his wife that his drug habit is so out of control, he's not doing anything for the company anymore. And he's made to resign in 2003, but he remains a major shareholder of Broadcom, which is where the bulk of his net worth comes from. Hmm. Um, and so, interestingly enough, uh, this the engineer who got it, Scott Smith, would turn over these emails to the FBI, and then there's this FBI investigation uh, into stock options backdating and drug trafficking. Um, it should be noted, Broadcom, so stock options backtrading, the... The essential way they what they were doing is you are allowed to give stock options to your employees, um, but you can there's a stri- what's called a strike price mm-hmm. is what what the price that your employees can buy stock at, and it's supposed to be like an average of the price over the last say 120 days, but you can change the date at which you give it to them oh. to essentially give them a gift, which is not illegal, but hiding it from shareholders is right. because hmm. if you hide it from shareholders, it's essentially like you are stealing money from the people who own the stock and giving it to you know employees, which is not the worst thing, but it is still fraud sure, to, sure. to hide that from people. So essentially in 2007, Broadcom has to uh, change their previously reported financials by $2.2 billion. So essentially they were doing $2.2 billion of transfers from 98 to 2004. Uh, sorry, 1998 to 2005, $2.2 billion worth of um, backdating. And according to an SEC complaint, um, had Broadcom accurately reflected these transfers, its 2000 operating income would have been reduced by $442 million. So it is just kind of like straightforward stock fraud where they are manipulating the stock price. Um, But essentially, uh, the prosecutors uh, commit... Uh, the case is thrown out because of pr- prosecutorial misconduct. They were like trying to intimidate witnesses. Um, but it, it should also just be noted that he uh, threatened his personal advisor, Craig Gunther. Uh, he took him on a plane. He accused him of wearing a wire and working with the feds. Uh, he told the FBI Nicholas had said he would, quote, chase him to the ends of the earth if he screwed him and then hit him in the face. <laughs> um <laughs> But another interesting thing is uh, this guy Gunther was like, he was getting around this uh, the bank regulations that says you can only withdraw, you have to rep- file a report whenever you withdraw more than $10,000. Mm-hmm. He was essentially repeatedly cashing checks to Nicholas's account for just under the limit. Um, he would... Uh, Essentially, from early 2006 to 2007, uh, he re- one employee wrote 129 checks on Nicholas's account, payable to cash, for a cumulative uh, $689,000. Only a few were over 10 grand. So essentially, this is like between 2006-7. This is after he left, but right. this is a huge drug habit. And um, he goes into AA in 2008. But in 2007... And he just knocks it out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2007, he crashes his Lamborghini into a light pole with his son in the car. Uh, he left the scene of his accident, but his uh, former Navy SEAL bodyguard told police that he was the driver of the car. <laughs> Which is, of course, uh, the Navy SEAL's creed, is to never leave a methed-out billionaire to take the rap for almost murdering their child. That's what they say in Blackwater. Yep. Um, but so, you know, it is just something where we mentioned he manages to get away with these two charges and he's still 
Like, I mean, you know, the guy is probably sick. He's probably a drug addict. Uh, so it is unfortunate, but it is at the same time, it's like he is pushing policies that make people's lives worse while also it just so happens using the bulk of his fortune for just mindless hedonism and yeah. sex dungeons and drugs and, and all this other stupid bullshit that it's like, I don't know, maybe at the end of the day you'd be happier if you just spent $3 billion putting people into homes or, or something like that. And yeah, okay, <laughs> fucking nerd. Yeah, Sean. If anything, he should go to prison for poor taste. If you if you spend that money putting people into homes not called the L.A. County lockup. <laughs> um, but, and, you know, and, and it just kind of goes on where, you know, we'll, maybe we'll return. Well, I mean, we will return to the co-founder, mm-hmm. Henry Samueli, because uh, he's also a billionaire. And there's lots of stuff to cover with Broadcom that we, we don't have time to get to. But it should be noted that um, according to the uh, Orange County, the voice of OC.org, as of 2018, state investigators are reviewing a complaint alleging that the Orange County District Attorney and his chief of staff illegally failed to disclose private jet travel provided by Henry T. Nicholas III. So they're riding on his private jet, um, and he was previously charged with using this plane for drug trafficking. It was actually pretty interesting. In the federal indictment, they alleged that at one point um, they were smoking so much pot on his private jet that the pilot had to put on an oxygen mask in order to fly the thing. Which, like, you know, we're not going to hate on him for that part of the story. No, that's, that's no, pretty that's, dope. That's, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say everything he did sucks, but i got to admit, pot on a private jet... Sounds pretty fun. I'm going to say that the pilot's a fucking nerd. <laughs> they could have dude, done some like loop-de-loops. Like, you could have gotten to the point where it was like, this is your pilot speaking. Let's see if we can do that vomit comet zero G <laughs> shit. As, as soon as Henry T. Nicholas uh, finds a rhyming dictionary for that story, he's going to go triple platinum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, you know, just to kind of go through other random Wait, stuff. Wait, freestyle. Freestyle it. <laughs> no. Uh, I hate this show so much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but just a couple other miscellaneous ex- uh, accusations. I'm trying to destroy it from the inside. Yeah. Oh, I can, oh, yeah. Oh, I've been trying to do that the entire time. Uh, you know how happy it makes me when people are like, oh, in this previous episode, the levels are all fucked up and my ears hurt every time they laugh. And I'm like, good. <laughs> good. Good, you fucking cretins. <laughs> <laughs> This is an op where we decided Reddit is a white supremacist website, <laughs> and we are going to take direct action by laughing directly into the microphone. We need to make America deaf again. Yeah. <laughs> our, our program to uh, deafen white supremacists. Uh, the plan so- is to sell uh, hearing aids to our fans in the uh, years. <laughs> that's, that's the plan. Uh, we do the podcast for five years, yeah. and then we start selling hearing aids. <laughs> exactly. Foolproof. So, uh, just a couple other miscellaneous accusations against Henry Nicholas III. It's been claimed that he was spiking the drinks of both clients and competitors to steal trade secrets. Really? So, he would, like, put ecstasy in people's drinks, um, uh, like that fucking guy who was, who was the singer. Which one? Oh, God damn it. Um, the guy who did uh, Fuck You. Oh, CeeLo? Yeah. So, he was doing the CeeLo thing. Of well, I guess date raping. <laughs> first of all, first of all, pinning all date rape on CeeLo is a pretty low fucking bar, Sean. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. You could have just said he's doing this thing, date rapists have done, <laughs> and not thrown CeeLo under the bus on this. Not to say CeeLo's 
absolved of being a piece of shit. I'm just saying that, like, you know... CeeLo's, you, CeeLo's attorneys were insisting in court he was just stealing trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, what, she had the quarter three Facebook numbers. Nothing ruined a song more, like, here, listening to Fuck You when right. you realize that CeeLo Green is a rapist. <laughs> where he's, like, crying about in the middle of the song about like losing a woman it's like dude you're raping people right right you know the stunt he pulled where he showed up at like an award show in all gold oh yeah he like claims a- that he wasn't him he's like that wasn't me CeeLo green you a psychopath what do you mean that wasn't you that guy with the <laughs> vaguely same build at an event that you were supposedly supposed to be at dressed in all gold that ain't you CeeLo who is that CeeLo Fuck you, the number one hit dedicated to a district attorney that prosecuted <laughs> him. <laughs> anyway, so the CeeLo yeah. Green move of raping people, yes. as well, Sean is doing. <laughs> spiking drinks with ecstasy. Um, so uh, he uh, ordered 225 hits of Did ecstasy. Did he spring from Molly? <laughs> I'm sure he's getting the pure MDA, Andy. Uh, he, MDMA. He allegedly ordered 225 hits of ecstasy for a 2001 Super Bowl party. Oh, that just and, seems like a good time. I, yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, he, he's also got a record label. I think he claims to be involved in like getting Sublime their breakthrough. <laughs> oh, you know what? Level, Fuck this guy level forever. Now I'm, now I'm completely <laughs> against him. He also claims to be the person who got the lead singer of Linkin Park to kick drugs. Oh. Yeah. Well, that guy killed himself, so. Oh. Um, so he did a really good job of <laughs> it. Mm. Yeah, that guy's become too numb. Uh, That's one of their songs. Yeah, I figured. He he spiked his drink with ecstasy and found out they were doing a duo album with Jay Z. <laughs> that also happened. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I guess just kind of the last thing, or the last two things I want to mention here, and you know, when we do the future episode, maybe we'll get into more of Broadcom's abuses. But you know, if you know about them, please let us know. But it should be noted here, he got rich making these chips that are all manufactured mostly in Asia. Right. So it's like the labor conditions there are pretty horrific. Like they do the design in California. They manage, manufacture the fucking things in um, Asia, Indonesia, various countries with various labor standards. And according to knowthechain.org, uh, as of 2018, Broadcom is the lowest rated U.S. company on uh, keeping track of slavery in their supply chain. Um they say uh, Broadcom reduced their public disclosures dramatically, resulting in an 81% decrease in their score compared to 2016. I, I like how that, whatever that group's chart is backwards. Mm-hmm. They're the lowest at make sure, making sure slavery isn't a part of their build. Don't you mean they are the worst per- perpetrators of that crime, not that they're the lowest on a list of people that are better like than them? The best perpetrators of slavery. Exactly. Do you, do you know how much slavery you have to do to win the Ronald Reagan Criminal Justice <laughs> Award? <laughs> What's well, better than one slave owner, too? <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, Broadcom is the, uh, as of 2018, the lowest rated U.S. company on terms of disclosures to keeping slavery out of their supply chain. So you have to imagine there's a lot of just horrific labor abuses that go into it. But even on the U.S. side, and again, he resigned in 2003 as CEO. He's still a huge shareholder. So oh, okay. this is where his fucking money comes right. from. Um, as of 2015, uh, Broadcom fired a security guard contractor uh, for managing to unionize 75% of the security guard contractor workers. So it is another thing where the Silicon Valley companies, we've talked about this with the Microsoft episode. It doesn't sound like he unionized them good enough. <laughs> 
uh, the the Microsoft episode, they so heavily rely on contractors to right. do this kind of like the lower paid end of the labor, um, and the work conditions are very abusive and uh, very exploitative. So, you know, Jesse Jackson actually led a protest against Broadcom in 2015, but it is just something where on the domestic side and especially on the international side, there is always labor exploitation and just horrific amounts to be to be found. And even his fucking uh, employees that he's working till 6 a.m. and slapping around with paper, they are victims of labor exploitation too, even if some of them managed to cash out their stock options before the bottom fell out. Um, so he's been retired for 15 years. Yes. And all he's done is have sex with the lady that used to be with the Wells Fargo person or is the Wells Fargo person? Well, Yogi, I don't think that's the only lady he's managed <laughs> to have sex with. Well, but I mean, like, Wells Fargo orgy is a... <laughs> we, we should have invited someone from the DSA sex worker caucus onto this episode <laughs> because I am sure half of them sure, know who sure. this guy is. Well, so I mean, like, I'm not saying that, that that's the only person he's had sex with, but for yeah. 15 years, he's just been doing drugs and fucking? Yeah. I mean, wow. you know. What a piece of shit. I mean, look, I think he's a very... And he's maintained his net worth? Like, he hasn't run through... Yeah. I mean, he's got multi-million-a-year drug habit, but just like the 8% return of just putting his money in the stock market, it will pay for that many times over. I mean, like, I shouldn't be impressed, but, I mean... It's Andy. the same thing with fucking Milken stealing, what, $8 billion and being fined two, something along those lines. It's like... Yeah, he's worth like $3 billion. Right, he's like, fined a little less than a billion. How the fuck are, are we just tolerating these people that are like, oh, you mean a fucking crime is a, a fucking fine that I pay from time to time? That's no big deal. Mm-hmm. It's like a fucking tip at the end of a restaurant bill. I just got to make yeah. sure to pay it and do whatever the fuck I want. Um but so I guess we will see what happens with Henry Nicholas III going forward. He's going to enter this sweetheart plea deal for his Las Vegas drug charges August 26, 2019. Uh, hopefully he gets into rehab, but even more hopefully than that, he gives away his money and does something better with it than just the fucking empty void that is, you know, hedonism and uh, drugs and meth and even psilocybin. Maybe he'll join our Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I can't believe... Yeah. So- Maybe he'll start contributing to a more worthy psilocybin <laughs> habit. <laughs> Andy's. <laughs> Man, I can't believe Bill Hicks was wrong and psilocybin didn't give him a third eye. <laughs> he just... He used the third eye to design the sex dungeon. <laughs> Um, but we will follow up in the future with the other founder, Henry uh, Samueli. So please, uh, grubstakerspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter, grubstakerspod. Uh, let us know anything else you think we missed with Broadcom, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Pollywall. I'm Eddie Palmer. All right. Five stars on iTunes. Talk shit on Reddit. Thank you. <laughs>